Hey, hi there. This week I'm sitting down with Terry. Um, there are those moments where you, you, you're blown away by the synchronicity of the conversation. Um, you know, like you're going to hear it by yourself, but, um, it was such a shock for me because, you know, like the, the, there, were, there were many things that Terry described that um, actually happened in my own life and, and um, some, some of quite personal stuff, you know. So it was um, a bit of a shock and, and at the same time, like such an interesting and, and um, learning experience to sit down with Terry. And, you know, like I'm so grateful that I've met him Um yeah, I mean, like the, the, that's pretty much sums up, you know, like the the whole conversation I had with him. Um, lastly, I'm just gonna leave it there, you know, like that, you know, like you need to. I'd love you to actually review the podcast, let the podcast known to friends, family, you know, like it's something that you know, like I like the way it grows, but you know, like if it could grow faster and get get it known better, you know, like that that's even better, you know. Like so, without further ado, here's Terry. Enjoy. Hey, Terry, how are you doing? I'm great, Alex. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. Hey, to, uh, it, it, I, I, I tend to say that almost on a weekly basis, but this is my um, relax zone and my, you know, unplugging moment. You know, like it's, uh, yeah, it is my moment unplugged. It is, uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoy every single recording I do, not only because it, you know, like it, it plugs me from like the daily train wreck that that is my life <laughs> i mean i'm moving you know so there's boxes everywhere you know like it, it is right now it's a high speed train going really really fast and um and yeah you know like so when i go downstairs in my kind of man cave here um it 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 just unplugs everything i'm like you know like this. so when you you know like with people how are you doing i'm like, i'm doing fantastic right now um the first question I have um, is, you know, under the current worldwide circumstances, is a twofold question. The first question is, in what region or where are you on this planet? And the second question is, how has been the pandemic for you? So I am in Denver, Colorado, um, in the United States. And the pandemic for me uh, got real interesting last April when I had an undiagnosed tumor in my ankle that grew large enough to fracture my tibia, my shin bone. And so last April, I had my leg amputated uh, above the knee. And it was the only surgery of the day. Nobody could be with me. You know, my wife literally dropped me off at the hospital. So the pandemic, um, you know, what was has been scary. It's It's been nerve wracking. Uh, in addition to the, to the tumor in, in my ankle, I also found out I had tumors in my lungs. So I'm undergoing a, a trial for that. And obviously we know with the pandemic, it attacks your lungs. So, I mean, my I've gotten real close with my family. Fortunately, I like them. So being around them is, is kind of a, a, a nice thing. 
and yeah. um, you know, literally, I don't go out of the house unless I go see my doctor or I go for for my chemotherapy treatments. So it, it's it's not been easy, and uh, you know, I've been vaccinated uh, fairly recently, as has my wife and our daughter, who uh, is in the Air Force or actually the the Space Force here in the U.S. Um, it was also vaccinated just because she's around and you know wants to mm-hmm. see mom and dad so it it's it's not been easy but it's something that you know what we're, we're coming out of it we're, we're 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 gonna we're gonna get out of it i've got to believe that yeah and and how did you know like i i asked that because i know that every state is different in terms of their handling of the situation how has colorado, colorado state been handling it so far you know i I'm not a big fan of our governor, but I, I really kind of believe I have to give kudos where kudos are are deserved. And I think he's done a a good job of, of prioritizing, a good job of, you know, shutting down when when we needed to shut down and then opening up when we needed to open up. So I, I think he's done a very good job. And, you know, every every night on the news, they talk about, you know, how many new cases we have and how many hospitalizations we have. And that trend is heading in the right direction. It's heading down. So, you know, there, there's always going to be those people out there that no matter what you say, you know, they're anti-vaxxers or, you know, this is a conspiracy or whatever you want to say. it. I, I, I kind of look at it like, you know, a little more practical. If the Centers for Disease Control bosses are willing to roll up their sleeves, if the president of the United States is willing to roll up his sleeve and get a vaccine, I, I, I'm having a hard time saying that this is a conspiracy, you know, that yeah you know this this is something that we need to do for each other you know that yeah i'm vaccinated now but that doesn't mean i don't have it in my nose and if you're not vaccinated and i give it to you you know i'd feel horrible now i'd never know that i did that but still you know i would feel horrible about that so this isn't just about me you know or you this is about us and our families and and the people we work with and live with and, and 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 do that every day it's um it's so funny because um i've always um admired and 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 looked at your your the 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 relation that the americans have with freedom and liberty to you know like it 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 is it is something that you know like we don't have as much for sure you know like so so for example right now we're you know like we're not socialists but you know like we have more intervention from the government into you know like our day-to-day life mm-hmm. so so needless to say that right now he has a lot of control over our you know like our, our what we're doing you know like so so we have a curfew um there's no way we can have you know like officially we can't have guests in our houses um and, it, and it's it's going it's longer and longer and longer you know like restaurants are shut down you know like the economy right now is you know we we, we have yet to discover our bad that you know like the, the repercussion of that will be so um but at the same time i think last week it was someone from texas that was telling me don't touch <laughs> don't come and touch my my freedom to choose you know like and i was like I do admire that, you know, like there is some, there's something about me that really does admire that on the same token though. Um, 
you know, like what, what is the, you know, like what is the impact right now? What, you know, the question I'm asking, and especially locally here is when are we going to realize that, um, um, you know, like the, the mental health can actually, or the degradation of mental health can actually outweigh the, you know, like the, 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 the death impact of the virus. And that's what, you know, like that, that's a, missing question that I don't hear about or see about right now in the, in, in our public authorities. And that, that worries me a lot. You know, like, so, you know, that's why I'm asking that question every single week. You know, like it's, it's, it's not only how has been the pandemic in terms of, um, you know, like the, 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 the situation itself by, you know, like the household and all that, but in terms of the, the state of, mind of people you know like I've, I've gone through rougher patches during that 14 months you know, like i've gone and you know like isolated with my wife and, and i'm i'm blessed to have someone you know like a second half here you know like where i can you know actually vent off but not only that but you know like we had at some point multiple times actually at some point just look at each other and said well it's fucking tough right now you know like it is it is a you know like it is a tough moment i can't imagine you know you must have had those those conversations as well with your with your wife, right? <laughs> you know, I did. Excuse me, I just swallowed wrong. <coughs> um, I, I did, and, and but, but you know, on the other hand, I, you know, I look back to say, you know, World War Two, you know, and what did what did we do as a country, <clears throat> you know, when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor and, and we entered into World War Two. What did we do? People went and signed up, you know, and the attitude was and, and Tom Brokaw, one of our, our uh, journalists here in the United States, wrote a book called The Greatest Generation. And it's called that generation uh, just that it is the greatest generation. And why? Because those people, their attitude wasn't what's in it for me. Their attitude was, how can I help? How can I make a difference? And 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 that's kind of what I see now. You've, you've got a lot of people that are like, you know. And I get it. I, you know, people are hurting. They're hurting financially because they, you know, they've lost their job. You know, businesses are hurting. I, I can't remember the the number. I, I want to say it was as high as as a quarter. Maybe twenty five percent of the restaurants in the Denver area will not come back. They, you know, they they're they're going to close forever. There was a great Greek restaurant very close to our house that we loved and we've been going to for years that closed during this pandemic, and and they're not they're not going to reopen. So I get that people are hurting. But, you know, I also understand that we have a responsibility to each other. Just, you know, freedom's great, but, you know, there comes a time when we need to pull together and say, okay, yeah, this is going to suck. Just like it did during World War II. You know, rubber was rationed, meat was rationed, you know, cloth was rationed. All kinds of things were rationed. So I think when the scientists say, you know what, we've got to, yeah, this sucks. This really sucks. And. You know, do I wish I was out with my friends? Do I wish I was, you know, seeing my neighbors out in the street? Well, I sure do. But you know what? This is a short-term fix that hopefully will, in the long term, make everything better for everybody else. And I'm willing to suck that up because I am an American and because I love this country and because this country means enough to me that I'm willing to pull my fair share. I, I just hope that there are more people like me out there that are willing to do that and not, uh, you know, all oh, the heck with you. I'm not, I'm not getting the vaccine. I don't care. If, you know, I'm, I'm not wearing a mask. I'm not socially distancing. Uh, 
okay, you know, you can take freedom to a point, but I think at, at, at some point you got to say, now you're just being a knucklehead, you know, and, yeah. and you're, it's all about you. It's not all about you. It's about us collectively. I mean, here in the United States, but it, but it's more. You know, it's around the world. I mean, it is. You look at yeah. what's going on in India, and it, it, it makes you sick. You know. Yeah, it's crazy. Four hundred thousand new cases a day. That's that's scary. And and I was about to say that you know like the the other thing around that you know like is is the conspiracy part. Like I think one culprit of that is the information handling by the media. You know, like, um, and, you know, like, I, I don't give them, well, especially locally, I, I'm going to talk for my region, they have a very bad scorecard right now, you know, like on, on how they do report the information. And my biggest problem is that they seem so savvy to give us like a scoop or whatever that, you know, like at some point, um, and I think, you know, like, the, you know, like, I don't want to fall in, you know, like it's not, it's not a conspiracy. I think that, you know, like the government is sometimes trying to take the pulse of something or an announcement. Mm -hmm. So they say, oh, there's going to be a, like a, um, um, there's going to be um, um, a press conference by the government on Wednesday or Monday. And we heard that he may talk about bringing down the curfew to 8 p.m. instead of 9. And then they just watch and look if, you know, like the population is not going berserk over that news. And then the Tuesday say, well, we're pretty sure it's going to be eight o'clock. But, you know, like God knows we don't know, you know, like, which is for me, that's bold. You know, like, just tell us, you know, you know, he's going to confirm that on Wednesday. You know, you have the information. That's when, you know, like, I don't want to say twisted minds, but I understand then someone extrapolating that to conspiracy extent, you know, to, to say, Ooh, you know, like the, the media and the government are just, you know, like mingling together and, you know, like, and that's one example, but you know, like I've seen many examples of, you know, where they did, and you had the same situation where Fauci, Fauci said, you know, like mass, no mass, mass, no mass, you know, like, you know, that is um, just fuel for anyone that has like that, so, you know, I'd say too much imagination. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I know, you know, when I was a I was a police officer for a number of years and I sort of learned that lesson firsthand where I was actually on the scene of a particular incident and I went home. I, I worked nights and I went home that night and I was telling my wife about it and we watched it on the news. <clears throat> and, I, and I remember watching it and I, I said to my wife, well, I was there and that that it didn't happen the way that they're reporting. So I, I take everything, whether it's the national media or whether it's the local media in the United States, with a grain of salt, because I, I, I've, I, I've seen it firsthand where I've been there and that, that didn't happen, and it didn't happen that way. And I've also you know, listened to reporters, especially on the national news, where they'll make a statement that's like, this is fact, and you're like, no, that's not fact. That you know, yeah. but you're acting like it is, and so because you do that, people will say, "Oh, well, so and so on the nightly news said this, so it must be fact." So anything I hear on the on the news, whether it's local or national, anything I read on, you know, whether it's AOL or Facebook or anything like that, I will take that with a grain of salt, and I will not, you know, I always tell my wife, well, "This is what I I saw on Facebook today. I don't know if it's true. 
I need some other verification, some other sources to say, yes, that is true, or no, that's just a bunch of baloney, and we don't need to worry about that. So, I, but I don't think I am, you know, mainstream. I think a lot of people just take, especially young people, as we were talking earlier, you know, you get your news from the internet. You don't get it from a newspaper. You don't watch the news at night and things like that. So young people, that they get that. So that that's such a huge avenue and such a huge venue that I, I just, and it seems to be, I got to be the first one to get it out. So even if the facts aren't all there, I'm still going to get it out. But then yeah. you're going to have people rely on that and not say, oh, wait a minute, maybe I better verify what was said. So I'm a little bit more pragmatic in, yeah, I don't believe anything that anybody tells me until I go verify it by a couple other sources. Yeah, and it, you know, like, and when you realize how many reposts are, um, like, you know, like someone take your example is great, like where they have so very little facts and they take that and mentions this as you know like their quote unquote scoop. There's hundreds of reposts right. that don't necessarily say or mentions that it's missing a few facts to be completely confirmed and it becomes truth, you know, like, uh, you know, like uh, as, uh, as it gets reposted. So, um, so it, it, I hope we're going to learn lessons out of that, but I, I bet I'd be surprised, but you know, like I hope there's going to be lessons learned. Um, cause right now it's just, um, you know, like, you know, like you always feel like the, the media is hungry for, like a tragedy and that pisses me off you know like it's just like oh we don't have as many deaths as yesterday but the day's not over you know like right. it's just like yeah if it bleeds that. it leads kind of thing that, that old shut story. the f up you're like well, <laughs> yeah. what are you saying right now like it's indecent you know like it's anyways all right back to regular programming <laughs> <laughs> um Every guest that I have, I ask him to, to do kind of the same exercise. I've just asked my guests to rewind the tape of their life story to wherever they want, but bring me back in either your upbringing and, you know, I, I want to know you, Terry, you know, like, so, so, um, tell me, you know, like, where do we start that story? So I, I guess I'll, I'll kind of give you the Reader's Digest version of me. And, and and then you can take it whatever rabbit hole you awesome. want to go down. Feel free to to go down. Perfect. So I was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. So a very very large city uh, in the U.S. I am one of three boys. You cannot tell this from looking at me, but I'm six foot eight inches tall, and I played basketball in college. I have a another brother who's six foot seven, who was a pitcher at the University of Notre Dame in Indiana, and then my middle brother is six foot six and he was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers in the National Basketball Association uh, here in the U.S. And then my dad was six five. So it's always kind of joke. You know, if you sat behind our family in church growing up, not a prayer's chance you were going to see anything that was going on, you know, <laughs> between our height. So I went to college at a military school in Charleston, South Carolina on a basketball scholarship. And when I graduated, I moved home to find a job. I, I'm really going to date myself, but this was before the internet and that. And I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. And my first job I was able to find at the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the, the hamburger chain, um, yeah. in their corporate office in their marketing department. 
that was the good part. The bad part was I ended up living with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mother care for my father and my grandmother who were both dying of different forms of cancer. In my professional career, as I said, I was a marketing executive. I've also been a hospital administrator. I was a customer service manager. I mentioned earlier that I was a police officer and, and part of that was I was an undercover narcotics investigator. I was also a SWAT team hostage negotiator. After that, I was a school security consultant. I was a high school basketball coach. Uh, I've been a motivational speaker. Last year, I, I released my first book. But for the last nine years, I have been a cancer warrior fighting uh, a, a very rare form of melanoma. And then finally, uh, my wife and I have been married for 27 years and our only child, a daughter, is a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is an officer in the newly created United States Space Force. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. So so pick a rabbit hole and let's go down it. <laughs> I I want to stay on my cold turkey track. So um, and I'm 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 now guessing that you know like it it's your state of mind that went through a cold turkey moment, right? Um, it's it's your spirit that went through cold turkey, especially when you say that you know you're a ninth year uh, you're you're nine year warrior against you know um, I've I've lost too many people to that to that sickness that you know like I I need to hear you about this. Um, just last year um, it was last October it was um, my my son's um, we called her guardian angel even at the time. When we named her um, uh, the godmother, how do you say it? it's the mm -hmm. godmother? Mm -hmm. She was the godmother of my child, and 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 we lost her um, last year. And you know, forty years old. I mean, like just just a fucking tragedy. You know, I could see it. It actually chain reaction for me to move uh, from one suburb to another just to get closer to our our network of friends because of that event happening you know like it's it's just to get closer to these people and um yeah anyways um my mom my sister i mean you know, like it's just like the past five six years you know like i've I, like i've seen a lot of that so so i want to hear you know like kind of you know like where were you you know like what was your day job you know like what was the when and what were the symptoms of you you know like, and my guess is you know like when when you're a six foot eight um piece of man you know like you must not you must not go uh at the doctors to especially in the police force you know like there's a stigma of you know like kind of uh, you don't go to the doctor unless it you know you're missing a limb you know <laughs> so. you, you know and and in a way you're right that was my dad my dad was diagnosed with end-stage breast cancer knew he was sick for months but was not of the generation where men went to doctors I'm smart enough to realize when I see something and I learn something from something else that I apply that. So yep. I did. I mean, I had a physical exam every year. I did all the testing that my doctors recommended, even the ugly, you know, you need a colonoscopy at, a, you know, at age 50. I did all that stuff. What happened for me is I was a, a high school basketball coach in 2012, and I had a callus that broke open on the bottom of my foot right below my third toe. And I didn't think a lot of it because, as I said, I was a basketball coach. I was on my feet all day. And when it didn't heal, I went to a podiatrist friend of mine, a foot doctor friend of mine, 
and he did the, you know, we'll put some pads in your shoes and try to cushion it and all that stuff. When that didn't work, he took an x-ray and he said, I think you have a cyst in there. He said, I can cut it out. And he did. He cut it out and he showed it to him. It was a little gelatin sack of white fat. You know, no blood in it, no dark spots, no anything that looked threatening whatsoever. He said, you know, I've seen thousands of these, no big deal. <clears throat> Two weeks later, he calls me up. And like I said, he was a friend of mine. And the more difficulty he was having telling me what was wrong, the more frightened I became. Until he finally said, Terry, I've been practicing for 25 years as a foot doctor. I've never seen this form of cancer. And you should probably go to MD Anderson, which here in the United States is probably the best cancer facility in the country, maybe in the world, um, and, and have that looked at. There's only about 6,500 people that have my form of cancer. And my cancer is a form of melanoma, which we normally think of as a skin disease. You know, I have a, a dark spot or something like that. Well, there's a, a rarer form of melanoma, which I have, which appears on the bottom of your feet or the palms of your hands. And there's even a rarer form of melanoma that appears in your mucous membranes, so in your nose or your mouth or something like that. So I have this rare form of cancer, you know, and, and the funny thing about it is, I'm jumping forward a little bit, a couple summers ago, I had all 88 genes that the doctors either know or suspect cause cancer. I had all of, the, all of those genes, this genetic testing done, and I have absolutely no mutations in any of those genes. And yet I have this very rare form of cancer. So anyway, that was 2012. I ended up having two surgeries to remove the tumor and all the lymph nodes in my groin. And after that, I'm placed on a drug called interferon. And I won't go into the, the, the whole aspect of it, but interferon, basically, I took a weekly injection. And that weekly injection gave me flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week. So imagine having the flu every week for two to three days for almost five years, which is what I went through just to try to keep the disease from coming back. As soon as the, the drug was stopped, and it was stopped because it became so toxic to my body that I ended up in the intensive care unit with a fever of 108 degrees, which usually is not compatible with being alive, but I guess <laughs> yes. God's, not, God's not ready to take me either upstairs or down, whichever way he chooses. So when that was stopped in 2017, the disease came back. In 2018, I had my foot amputated. 2019, the disease came back, <clears throat> excuse me, I had two more surgeries, and then last year, this undiagnosed tumor grew large enough to fracture my tibia, and I ended up having my leg amputated right in the middle of the pandemic. So it's just been one issue after the other, and I've learned to deal with it, and I've learned to smile through it. And in all honesty, I've learned to realize that I'm probably going to die and I'm okay with that. Terry. Okay. <laughs> Pick a rabbit I hole, need, go down it. Not only that, I need to pause here because <clears throat> I, my sister died. My, my sister passed away five years ago. Um, so she was 38. And <laughs> it was a, it was a blister that never healed on our, um, in our, on our plant of the plant of her foot, which we didn't know any podiatrist, you know, like so, so, and my sister has, um, well, 
in my family, there was a lot of, um, well, my mother, sister, and brother had muscular dystrophia. Yeah. So they were living at home. So, you know, like not only is the matricity affected, but, you know, like some of the, you know, um, you know, like the, the maturity level is not, was not, you know, like a, so, so my father, which is like, a, you know, works like a demon, you know, like was just like heard about, you know, like my, that, well, put some, you know, put, put some whatever, you know, like put a plaster on and put, you know, like put a bandaid on and then put this and that and this and that, um, and, and never got it, you know, like, and so when they went to the doctor and finally made you know, like a, a you know, like an anal analysis of, you know, like what it was, it was too late. Like it was all over her body and, you know, but you, you just, you're, you're fucking shutting me down here. You know, like, you know, like it's, it's pretty much what you have or what you had that my sister, that my sister passed from, you know, like, so, so, um, so it's, it's weird for me because you're saying it's super rare. Well, um, nice to meet you, but you know, like my sister, <laughs> Yeah, it was, you know, like it's, um, and it's exactly what you just described, you know, like the, the something that never, and like my father said, you know, like he's like, well, you know, like you hear one, you know, one Wednesday and she's like, well, put, you know, like pull a sparring on and, you know, okay. And, and then a week or two after, so like, it's still there. Like, and, and then she, you know, like she started limping and was like, oh, geez, we got to look at it. You know, like we got to have it look at it. Oof. Uh, anyways. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Just, you don't think of the, the foot. You know, you're like, ah, oh, it's the foot. I mean, it can't be anything serious. Well, it was. you and I both know that it is. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's so weird because that's five years in, right? And my father is, you know, feels a lot of guilt around that. You know, like he's, he's um, and it, you know, like he now looks at whatever scratches I have on my body and he's like, is, is it fucking healing? You know, like, he, 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 I'm like, dad, you know, like, I, <laughs> I'm aware too, you know, like I'm going to be extremely careful right. by that kind of shit, you know? Um, all right. So I bring you back to, you know, like you, you, you go have that taken off by your podiatrist when he calls you, you know, like there was, there was a, you know, like there was a, um, a publicity on TV back in the days where, you know, like they showed, you know, like kind of someone getting announced that they have cancer and it looks like if the, the house gets crashed by a wrecking ball. You know, like you see everyone just like, 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 like if the house explodes, um, I, you know, like what is your, what is your state of mind when that news breaks? You know, like, I mean, the, you said that you, today you can be smiling about this. Like, even though, you know, like you've kind of made peace with, you know, like some, you know, like kind of the, the outcome of that whole journey. Um, yeah, I, I think there was a woman uh, many, many years ago wrote a book about the, the, uh, the different stages of grief. And I swear, I, I went through those stages like almost, you know, you, you, you first you're like, well, no, you must be wrong, you know, send it back and have them re reanalyze. Well, you know, then you kind of get mad. You're like, you know what, I've done everything right in my life. I, I told you, you know, I have a physical every year. I have all the tests that my doctor recommends. I, I, I don't smoke. I don't drink alcohol. I've never abused drugs. I work out. I, you know, I eat good food. I, you know, and you're like, can't possibly be me. And then, you know, 
then you kind of start bargaining, you know, with God. Like, well, you know, if this is really it, then, you know, maybe I'll go to church more often if you let me, whatever. And, and then you get to a point, or at least I got to a point, where it was like, okay, these are the cards that I've been dealt, and I need to play them. And I am going to play the hell out of them. And I am not going to let this rule me. You know, we we are all going to experience pain in our lives. Doesn't matter who we are, what we are, we're going to experience pain. Suffering, on the other hand, that's optional. And I chose, you know what, I'm not going to suffer. I am going to take this. I am going to learn from it. I am going to grow from it. And I am going to use this to make me a stronger and more determined individual. And over the past nine years, I've come to what I call my four truths. And I'll share those with you. They're just one sentence each. There used to be three, and I, I'll tell you the, the new one that I've added fairly recently. The first one is you need to control your mind or it will control you. The second one is you need to embrace the pain and the suffering that we all experience in life and use it to make you a stronger and more determined individual. The third one, and this is the one I've just added, is what you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And the fourth one is, as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And I am on this <clears throat> clinical trial drug now that just beats the hell out of me. I go to the hospital for a whole week, Monday through Friday, and I'm, I get on this drug and I throw up and I shake and I have a fever and it's just, it's ugly. And I'm by, by Friday, I am just, you could, you could roll me out with a carpet. I, I mean, I am, I'm just beat to hell. And I had a nurse recently came to me and she said, Terry, Nobody would think anything less of you if you stopped this drug, if you got off this drug. And I tried to explain to her these four truths. Like, th this, is, this is how I live my life. This is how I make decisions I in addition to my faith. And I have a very strong faith. So between my faith and these four, four truths, as I've come to know them, that's how I make decisions. That's how I live my life. And I told her, I said, my doctor may take me off of this study or I may die on this study, but I will never quit this study. And I could tell it really didn't resonate with her. It, she wasn't at that point in her life. She was young and, you know, I, I mean, really young, like 25. And she just, she didn't get it. But she didn't have the life experience that I did either that, yeah. that got me to that point, you know, that I was able to develop these truths kind of on my own and and then not only develop them, but put them into practice to actually live my life based on these things. So, you know, like I say, like the second one about embracing your pain and suffering, our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. You know, most people run from pain. I've learned, and I, and I wish I knew how I did this, I've learned to take it, to just turn it inside and use it as as energy or burn it as fuel to make me stronger, to make me tougher, to make me more determined. And I, I don't want to sit here and have your audience think that I have a big red S on my chest and I wear a cape because I don't. Because like I said, there are days when I'm when I cry, when I get down. There were days when I was on interferon that I prayed to die. So please just take me. I don't want to do this anymore. But at, over a period of time, you just come to the point where, like I said, 
these are the cards that I've been dealt. I have to play them, and I'm going to play them. It's, um, you talk about embracing the pain. You know, it's funny because I all I had in mind is, um, which is a maybe a bad <laughs> parallel, but when Spartan Race was created, you know, like, you know, like where they make you suffer and they make you, they make it as painful as possible. Um, actually for three years in a row, you know, like just before having my kids, you know, like I, I did like the three distances, um, just to push myself to, to a point where your, your mind, you know, like the, their, their motto is you, you'll know at the finish line or you'll only know at the finish line because, you know, like it breaks your spirit, you know, like it just, mm -hmm. You feel like holy shit! Like I want to quit. Like, and it's only because you haven't quit that you know you 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 know like the pride and the endorphins that comes with it. Bad parallel, I know, but you know like what I'm saying it's, is that it's not a bad parallel. It's actually a very good parallel. My daughter has run a couple of Spartan races as well, and you know just listening to her talk about that. But when you said that, it reminded me of a story. So after the interferon was stopped my doctor put me on uh, two biologic medicines they did nothing to the cancer they were designed to rev up my immune system to to, to go and attack the cancer they did not work they and, and that's the reason i ended up having my foot amputated but they did give me a couple really bad uh side effects uh, one i was i was exhausted i was just physically exhausted after i had four treatments of these two this two drug combination and then I also developed a disease called pseudo-gout in my knee where uh, I had calcium crystals that were in there. And they were, just, they were just like miniature knives. And so every time I was moving my knee, they were stabbing. And, and my knee was like the size of a cantaloupe. It was, it was huge. And then one night I woke up in the middle of the night thinking I was having a heart attack. I, I couldn't breathe. I had pressure on my chest. My wife took me to the emergency room. And... I didn't have a heart attack. I actually had a blood clot in my lung and I had fluid around the sack of my heart that was compressing it, making it difficult to beat, which is why I was having the issues. But I remember laying on that gurney and on that table and my wife was right by my head and literally with tears running down my cheeks, I looked at her and I just begged her to let me die. I said, I just want to get out of this body that seems to be continually attacking. And for some reason, and, and, and I don't know if you, know, you want to call it divine intervention or for whatever reason, I remember reading an article about the owner of a professional sports team here in the United States that paid a United States Navy SEAL, probably some of the toughest men in the world, to come and live with his family for a month and to teach them to, do, to use their minds to do more than their bodies ever thought they could do. And part of what he taught was the 40% rule. And what this rule says is that if you think you're done, you think you're at the end of your rope, and it doesn't have to be, you know, with me, kind of a, a near-death experience. I mean, it could be, hey, you want to go out and run five miles, you get to three miles, and you're like, man, I can't do this. Anymore. No. What the 40% rule says is if you think you're at the end of your rope, you're only at 40% of your maximum and you still have 60% left to give. And I remember just kind of with all this activity going on with all these doctors and certain IVs and taking blood and everything, I remember kind of just going inside and telling myself, no, no, you're not, it's not time to go. You need to hang on. You have so much more 
left to give. And, 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 you know, when you say that about the Spartan race, that's kind of, it's kind of the same. It's kind of on, yeah. on a parallel, you know, it's you, you are at the end, you are pushing yourself to where you don't think you can do any more. Guess what? You can do a whole lot more. You still have a whole lot more in you. So you learned it from the Spartan race. I learned it from my experience with those two biologic drugs. Even more so Terry. Um, one of my motivation, I remember one race, it was a 20 something kilometers. Anyways, it was just painful. And I remember just talking to myself saying, well, you can't walk, right? You can't run. Your mom can right now. So shut the fuck up and run. You know, I can't, it was, I was just beating my ass even more, you know, and what I'm, I'm looking for his name. The guy was a Navy SEAL. Um, David Goggins. Oh, don't tell me about this guy. Like I'm, 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 I, I'm thinking about the other one that is the uh, Winko Wonko Jocko uh, Winko uh, Winko. J- yeah, exactly. And and uh, this guy is phenomenal, you know. And and he has one of the best motivational speech, which is good, you know. Like, you, is it painful right now? Good. Yeah. You know, like you, you're tired. Good. You know, like I, this thing. Hypes <laughs> me up so bad. <laughs> it's crazy. Goggins on the other end. I think there's a bit of mental health situation going on right here. Uh, but <laughs> if anyone doesn't know what we're ta- Terry and I are talking about, please give yourself, you know, take the time to go read about David Goggins. I've 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 completed his book. I've read his book through, like in very little time. It is impressive to a point where you're just like wow wow wow. and at some point you're like ooh, you know like that's too much you know like it was (laughs) it was you know that that's way too much for me but i i understand in in terms of the other one i i have to remember his name joko wilkins Mm -hmm. if if any one of you listening have a chance go on youtube go on your Spotify or whatever and find any of his motivational uh, motivational speech and one of them is good and it is it is uh, it is phenomenal his book I haven't completed it's more um, it's all about responsibility taking responsibility you know I can and I, I love it but it, it's not it's not um, as resilience based as Goggin is. It's just that Goggin's is his own life example is is a bit over the edge and you know but but I I've um I've loved reading about and, and listening to these stories. Um because at some point, you know, like um if you don't almost like uh you need to almost spar those lives you know like you need to spar your mental state and your spiritual state. Um, and your physical state sometimes too as well and you know for any of these eventualities you know and and um as you know like my my you know i, I told you about you know, like my oldest son is uh 20 he's going to be 24 this year and you know we have been talked for a while but um he's relapsed you know like you you know guess he has the genetics of his dad but uh he's uh he's relapsed um in the past two years um, yeah, just as I started my podcast, he was my, he was my episode two is actually my son and, uh, he's relapsed a few months after that. Um, and I have to spar my brain and my heart, you know, like when I say that, like almost like, um, 
letting go to a point where I have to prepare myself to eventuality that, you know, like I could get a phone call telling me that, you know, like he's, he's, he's done bad things, even, you know, maybe, you know, die from it. Um, my wife still doesn't believe me. You know, like she's like, ah, you know, like he, I'm not saying that I'm expecting it or that I hope it, it, it happens. What I'm saying is that I've trained my brain, my heart and my gut to if it I won't be surprised and what you know like that won't happen you know like and 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 um, I think it is it is almost like a mandatory exercise and you know like resilience I mean for God's sake you know like I've, I've seen my I still see my brother you know like he's so he has six years with me so he's 40 I guess he's 40 this year or last year but anyways um almost cannot move you know like that the muscular dystrophia progresses at mm-hmm. you know like a very slow pace but at 40 and 42 three four like they start getting you know like really affected by it um my brother cannot almost cannot move i mean like that there's there's it's not just a resilience thing it's even i think it's even worse for us which are witness of that you know like that you know like um it is, it is, I wouldn't, I don't know why I said that, but you know, like it's tough for me. I remember younger as a teen, I'd say, I said multiple times, like I would have switched any time of day, you know, like giving him, you know, like good health and take that sickness because it, it hurt, it has hurt me so much seeing or knowing because at the time he was like a, I think he was five year old when the five years old, when, when he got the diagnosis. So he was like jumping all over the place, like he was an active kid. Mm-hmm. But I was, I was in such pain that I was like, I can, I would trade any time of day. You know, I could they ask me if if I wanted to. Um, and so you know, like even how was it for your wife? You know, I could bring me back to that question. You know, how was it for your wife? Hard, uh, you know, and and you're right. I mean, physical pain is is you know. It's just that it's physical, emotional pain, mental pain, I think is much more difficult to live with harder to, as me, you know, like I said, you know, we've been married for 27 years and here she is dropping me off at the hospital, have my leg amputated and she can't be with me. And, and I know she was like, what do I do? And, and literally what I said to her was just go sit in the parking lot and pray. You know, that's all. I mean, that's all I can and tell you to do. I mean, and the doctor will call you when it's over. And, you know, you kind of leave that in in somebody's hands that's much higher than our pay grade, so to speak. And, you know, when, when, I, when I was diagnosed, our daughter was in high school. And my wife and I made a conscious decision that we would never lie to her about my health or what was going on. Or we, would, we would tell her, obviously, age appropriate for, you know, for yeah. what she was able to handle at the time, but we would never lie. I mean, and now she's 25 years old and, and she's fully active. And I, and I, I, I'll tell you kind of a funny story. I, when I, um, when I had the, the tumors in my lungs diagnosed, my doctor was like, I want to put you on chemotherapy. And, and I was like, you know, it's, it's been eight years. I've had a good run, not afraid to die. So I don't think I want to do that. And I, and I went home and I, and I told my wife and I told my daughter and there was an immediate, you know, I, Family meeting, got to have a family meeting. And so we had a family meeting and 
we we discussed it for a few minutes and then we took a vote and my wife and daughter outvoted me two to one you're going to take chemotherapy so <laughs> I, I i i took chemotherapy because i was outvoted two to one and and i i, I remember when i was a in, in the police academy and I was learning to become a police officer. Our defensive tactics instructor had us bring a photograph of the people that we love the most to class. And we would look at that photograph as we were learning ways to defend ourselves, you know, out on the street when we graduated. And he reasoned, he did that because he reasoned, you will fight harder for somebody that you love than you will fight for yourself. So he wanted you to realize that at three o'clock in the morning when you're fighting some drunk who pulls out a knife, you know, there's somebody back home who want, wants to make sure that you come home, whether it's your, you know, your, your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, your parents, whoever it is, somebody loves you. Somebody wants you to come home. And, and I, you know, I didn't think about that too many times. I mean, at six foot eight and 240 pounds, I didn't have too many people mess with me when I was a policeman. But when you get cancer and you realize that this is not about you solely, this is about all these people. I mean, my mother is still alive, you know, at 86 years old. I have two brothers that are still uh, with me that are that are younger that I mentioned earlier. My wife, my daughter, there are people out there that are praying like crazy for me to recover. So this isn't just about me. You know, it kind of goes back to our discussion about, you know, the greatest generation. It's 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 about us and and i am sort of the center of this cog in this wheel but but my disease my treatment my amputations they affect everybody who loves me and cares about so i think it's important that you realize that but at the same time you know you've got to understand that when i go for treatment and it's covid and i don't want my wife with me because no i don't want you in the hospital i want you around all these sick people I know that's hard for her mentally. I want to be with you. I want to comfort you. I want to help you. No. I, yes, I know. I know you want that, but I, I can handle this physically. So I don't need you know you to be. I don't need you to push me in my wheelchair or anything like that. I just need you to you know. But I I need to understand that 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 there's a mental side of this that she's dealing with, that our daughter's dealing with, that my mother's dealing with, that um, that maybe I'm not dealing with. You know that, that that's I'm, my, my mental part is over here. Theirs is is over here, and it's entirely different than what I'm dealing with. And as odd as it may sound, you need to develop an empathy for that. You do. You know. You know. So so, which is weird. Um, I have a weird, quick question. Sure. When you said that, you know, like, is it like just like almost like intuition that your podiatrist decided to do an analysis on what he extracted that day? No, I, I, it, it, in the United States, it's pretty much common practice that if you remove something from somebody's body, whether it's a mole or, you know, okay. or whatever, you it gets it. sent off to pathology to okay. see if it's okay. Oh, okay. Um, how, you know, because like, it's a roller coaster, right? Like, have you, have you, during these nine years, have you ever been told that, you know, like you, you are, are, you know, like are, were they moments considered relapses or or you were always like on high alert or you were giving kind of a break that got crashed? Yeah, I, I mean, it was, you know, here, be on this drug that's going to give you the flu for five years with the hope, as my oncologist used to put it, we're kicking the can down the road. You know, we're hoping that 
you know, however long you can stay on this drug. And and I knew uh, one, one of the players uh, on my basketball team, her grandmother, I coached girls basketball, her grandmother uh, was on interferon for hepatitis. It's also a drug that's used for hepatitis. And, and I talked to her about it. And, you know, she was on it for like nine months or something like that. And so when I went back to my oncologist, I'm like, yeah, I could do nine months a year on this. No, we want you to be on this for as long as you can, hopefully for five years. And I looked at her like, you want me to have the flu every week for two or three days for five years? I'm like, that just that just didn't compute in my mind. I'm like, that's just not. No, you know, you, you get sick, you break your arm, you put it in a cast and, you know, it gets better. No, you want to keep banging this door, you know, and oh, here we go again. Here we go again. Here. I mean, I lost, you know, 50 pounds during my therapy. You know, I, I remember talking to my neighbor one summer day. It was 90 degrees out and I was freezing because it was just a side effect of the drug and, and stuff like that. So, you know, you, you, you just... You, you just keep hitting the wall. You just, you know, you, you just keep doing what you got to do to survive and realizing that, you know, you, at least for me, I never let myself kind of be like, oh, okay, but let's take a break. Because for me, there wasn't a break. I mean, it was the yeah, interferon. It, it was the, the foot amputated. It was, it came back in 19. It was the leg amputated. Now I got tumors in my lung. You know, it's just like, it's just never let up. It's relentless, and, and, yeah, but so and, am I. Yeah, and you, you weren't giving, you, you weren't given um, that high of relief from the from the experts um, looking at you. You know, like that's you know, like that's why I'm asking you know, because you know, like um, I told you about you know, like my, my son's um, step um, guardian angel. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was given, I think it lasted for 11 years, you know, like it started from like an armpit melanome yeah. and, and it, you know, but for about five, four or five years, she was given a break, you know, she was, okay, come every six months, come every year, you know, like, I think we're, we should be good. Um, and, it, you know, like we, we kind of celebrated almost like, you know, she was pretty much cancer free for, for a few years. So we thought. Um, and I was wondering if you had any of these moments, you know, anytime. Um, and that's why you become, you, you must become almost paranoiac of, you know, like if you have a headache, you know, like get worried or, you know, like, do you? No, I, I, I don't. I, I know that this is what I'm fighting. And I know that if it, you know, like I said, I, I went through the gambit of emotions when I was initially diagnosed, you know, fear denial, anger, anxiety, all that kind of stuff. But I've been doing this so long that I I just realized that whatever happens, like I said, you know, me living or dying today, tomorrow, a year from now, whatever it is, is way above my pay grade. So I, I don't worry about that. But what I do focus on is this, this, you know, it, it's kind of like a, a sporting event, you know, and I've spent my whole life pretty much being in athletics. This disease wants to take over my body and kill me. I want to stop the disease from doing that. And so it's a battle. It's a war. It, it, it's a contest, whatever you want to call it. And I will continue to be relentless and continue to be as relentless as it is. I say that now, uh, obviously, there's going to come a point where 
if it is going to take my life, and more than likely it will, it will start to overrun my immune system and get to the point where I am weaker and, and I lose more weight and, and things like that. So I know that might be coming, but that's not today. And, and the only guarantee I have is today. And you're already beating the odds. Oh, yeah. Five years. They gave me, like, you're lucky if you'll be here in five years. Now it's it's nine years plus. So, yeah. yeah. Um, what made you, um, what encouraged you to write a book? So the book was really born out of two conversations I had. One was from a former player who moved with her boyfriend to Colorado. And my wife and I had dinner with her a couple of times. And, and I said to her, I'm, I'm kind of excited that you're, you know, living close to me and I can kind of watch you find and live your purpose. And she got real quiet for a while. And finally she looked at me and she said, coach, what do you, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I don't know what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about. Your life should be about finding that purpose. And then once you find it, living it. That was one conversation. Another conversation was with a, a young man, a college student on LinkedIn who wanted to know what I thought, which I thought was hilarious. Like, you know, why are you coming to me? There's much smarter and, you know, more put together people than me. But he was like, what are the things I need to learn to not only be successful in my job or in business, but also in life? And I, I didn't want to give him the classic, you know, work hard, get up early, help others. Not that those things aren't important. They are. They're incredibly important but they've also been done. And I wanted to, cr to try to give him something that went deeper. It kind of went into his soul, for lack of a better word. And so I spent some time writing ideas down and notes, things like that. And eventually I had these, these 10 principles and I was comfortable enough that I sent them to him. And then I sort of stepped back and I was like, you know, I've got a life experience that falls under that principle, or I know somebody who, you know, their life would emulate that principle. <clears throat> so I started literally, I had my leg amputated in April, started chemotherapy for the tumors in my lungs in June. And I wrote the book in between that period of time. And I literally took the 10 principles that I'd sent the young man and I started building stories underneath the principles. And eventually I had what I thought was a book, <clears throat> excuse me. So. I, I, but I wasn't sure. I mean, I've never written a book before or anything like that. So I gave it to two of our friends. He is a former Navy SEAL, and she is a former prosecutor, a former lawyer. And I said, and they're, but they're young. They're, you know, they're in their 30s. And I said, please read this and tell me if you think it's total garbage or if you think it's something that maybe I should get published. And they both were like, no, you, you definitely need to get this published. <clears throat> and that's pretty much kind of how the book came about. I, I, I always say that I wrote the book, but I really kind of feel it was inspired by, for me, God, uh, you know, whatever your version of that is. But I really think it was something inspired by something much, much greater than me. What was the response? And, you know, like how has been um, <clears throat> so far, you know, like the response to that? Because I'm guessing that, you know, like not only is this Uh, some of your entourage um, life experience in terms of, you know, like the principles you've established in there. But th there was a lot of yours, I, I'm guessing, that inspired you to write these principles. Um, what has been the response so far of people reading it? The response has been great. I, I mean, I, 
I think the target market is probably a younger audience. But I, I you know, when I, as soon as I thought that, I had a an 87 year old man who contacted me out of the blue, who who bought the book and read it, and he said to me, you know, if I would have had these principles when I was a young man, my life would have been a whole lot better. And I thought, wow, you know, that that's saying something coming from somebody who's 87 years old. But you know, when the book was first released, I again knew nothing about publishing, nothing about marketing the book or anything like that. And and so I was kind of like, you know, I gotta sell books, I gotta sell books, I gotta sell books. And I I had connected through LinkedIn with a, a best-selling business author in the UK, and he kind of sort of pulled me aside, sort of slapped me in the face in a Zoom kind of way. And he said, you know, Terry, you're, you're missing the point here. Your job is not to sell books. Your job is to help people. If you help people, your books will sell themselves. And I was so glad that he said that to me, that he kind of, you know, brought me back to reality because I never wrote the book to, to make money or to get famous or, you know, to do anything mm -hmm. like that. I wrote the book to try to make an impact and try to help people. And having somebody outside of me say, hey, nah, you're missing the point here. You're going about this the wrong way. Do it this way and, and you'll be a lot happier. And I am. And now I, I, don't, I don't look you know, every day like you know, how many books got sold on Amazon and stuff like that. I, I, I'm not going to say I don't care. I do care. But at the same time, my focus is more on you know, doing things like this. You, know, you and I are having a conversation. You have provided me with a forum to, between the two of us in our conversation, get the message out and maybe make a difference in the life of somebody who listens to this podcast. And if that's what I do with the rest of my life, I'll, I'll be totally content with that. Well, Terry, one thing for sure is that you're making a difference in mine tonight. You know, like I can tell well, thank you. Thank you. So um, let's start with that. <laughs> Perfect. I can do that. That works for me. Um, and I'm, I'm just still in shock of meeting with someone that has gone or, you know, like, a, like for me, it's just like I'm, I'm life, you know, like you're talking about the higher power, you know, like for me, you know, like, I, you know, like I'm, I, I have no affiliation. <laughs> I sure. still don't know yet. You know, like sure. it's still, it's still unclear, but um, whatever we call it, it's no coincidence for me tonight. You know, like there's something, you know, like I was just said, like a, like a, a <laughs> like you said, like a, almost like a Zoom session right there on the spot. Like, hey, buddy, you know, like here, here's a, here's a curveball just right there, right there for you. You know, like, so, well, Jesus Christ. Okay, all right, man, <laughs> I get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, you. <laughs> I say, man, but whatever. Um, anyhow. What's the book name? The book is called Sustainable Excellence, The Ten Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. And um, and and for people listening, Terry will provide me with every single link, um, you know, like where we can find him, you know, like on social media, the Amazon link to find the book, you know, like wherever you are, you know, like in the U.S. and Canada, I'll find a way for for you know like to give a hand to terry for for people listening in canada uh to to, to grab a, a copy of the book um terry all I'm, i've got left is to just thank you for 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 being so open and so i mean just your spirit is is 
impressive. You know, like the, the, you know, the, the, um, what, you know, like at at face value, if, if I had read your story or if I had read your reader's digest, uh, (laughs) bio, um, the, the, the immediate feeling is being sorry for, you know, like the person you're reading that bio for, um, listening to you. You know, like I, I just want to be part of that um, prayers chain of you know, like people, you know, like you know, like keeping your spirit as high as I've heard for the past hour. To be honest, I, and um, I appreciate that. And you know, when when people tell me they, you know, I, I'm thinking about you or I'm praying for you and stuff like that, that means something to me. I, I, I mean, it's not just a, uh, yeah, whatever. You know, that really means something for me because you know, I, I mean, I. I've lost a, a few body parts along the way, but but the one thing that that cancer can never do, you know, it can never touch my heart, it can never touch my soul, it can never touch my mind, and I know that. And and there's there's some type of reassurance to know that you know, yeah, you can cut off whatever you want to cut off, you can you cut out whatever you want to cut out until there's nothing left of me. But that's not who I am. You know, my heart, my soul, my, my spirit, my mind, that's who I am. And that's what, whether I live or die, that's going to live on. And it's, it's, um, I mean, you know, like the, there's everything to be proud of that. You know, like it's, it's, um, again, you know, like you've, you've touched me and you, you know, like you've, you've, uh, you've blown me away by, you know, like that it's not only resilience, you know, like there is really something of the effect of, you know, like, um, looking at the situation face to face being you know like uh, absolutely a hundred percent honest about the situation because you know like you're you're facing death almost on a daily basis right now you know like as as you said you know like you you're you're pushing the prognosis every single day that you know like you're, you're waking up um and this for me is just you know like it's impressive you know like i'm i'm 46 years old terry you know like and Yesterday's uh, during our we had like a Zoom meeting with you know like which is kind of a virtual therapy session, mm-hmm. and the the, the main um, subject was actually do we have like um, um what, what what was it you know um are we are we do we have fear and do we have uh, apprehension you know like and and one thing that occupies my mind is just am I you know like am I at forty six am I midway you know, weird way of kind of thinking, but you know, like, am I, am I, am I, am I midway of, you know, like my, my, am I going down right now? <laughs> you know, am I on my way down, you know, and I have a five-year-old, you know, like, so, so it brings like a million questions and a million um, worries and, you know, like, so, and, uh, and that's what I said yesterday. I said, you know, like, I, you know, because, a lot of people were um, have grown up, you know, like with a lot of fear in their family. You know, like family education was based on fear. You know, mm-hmm. like, uh, Christianity, at some point in time, was based on fear a lot. And uh, I was like, I never had that. But if you're asking me, you know, like there's there's many apprehensions by the fact that I'm growing old. But it's not yeah, again, you know, like it's it's about being super honest about it. You know, like you're just facing it and say, but you know, like you're you're just like the 
you know, like the, the best example on steroids of, of that, you know, like it's just like, Jesus, you know, like that's, that's a, and, and again, you know, like I, I, I thank you for accepting to be part of that. You know, like it's, um, it's, it, it's a bit unusual of my regular programming, right. but you know, like, I think, you know, like, um, a huge part of, um, you know, like, um, facing these obstacles and, 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 and getting over these obstacles that, you know, like for, for over a hundred times I've met with people is to actually mature the spirit you know, like, and, and to grow that spirit and to grow that mental health. You know, like that's why, you know, like I, I usually ask the same question to my guests, you know, like what is the, um, sobriety, healthy diet, you know, what, what do you do? And most of the people is about meditation, praying, uh, writing, um, and, and therefore just cleaning and, 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 and mm-hmm. clearing the mind and soul of their bodies, you know, like, so, so it's, it's, it's great having you on and hearing someone that's probably facing, you know, like the, the biggest challenge in someone's life, life, you know, and, um, and having, still having that, that attitude over it, you know, like it's a, uh, it's phenomenal. Thank you. Can very, I leave you with one story before we go? Absolutely. So I, I've been a, I've always been a big fan of Western movies, you know, uh, here in the United States, you know, cowboys and, and things yeah. like that. So in 1993, the movie Tombstone came out. You, you may have seen it. It was a huge movie. Kurt Russell played a character by the name of Wyatt Earp and, and Val Kilmer played a character by the name of John Doc Holliday. Well, Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday were living, breathing human beings that actually walked on the face of the earth at one time. They're not made up characters for the movie. And it, it's, it's been a, I, I always tell this story because I think it really kind of resonates on a lot of levels. So at the very end of the movie, Doc Holliday uh, is dying at a sanitarium in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, about three hours from my home. And, and Doc was, they called him Doc because he was a dentist by trade, but he was pretty much a gunslinger and a card shark. And Wyatt had been a lawman his entire life. So these two men couldn't have been more diametrically opposed in terms of what they did for a living, and yet they were best friends. So at this point in his life, Wyatt is destitute. He has no money, has no job, has no prospects for a job. So he comes every day to play cards with Doc just to pass the time. And in this scene in the movie, it's towards the very end, they're talking about what they want out of life. And Doc says, you know, I was in love with my cousin when I was young. She's, she ended up joining a convent over the affair, but she's all that I ever wanted. And he looks at Wyatt and he says, what about you, Wyatt? What do you want? And Wyatt says, I just want to lead a normal life. And Doc looks at him and says one of the greatest lines I think that's ever been in a movie. He said, there's no normal, there's just life. And get on with living yours. And, and I, you know, I think about that story all the time, especially with my life. Would I like to not have cancer? Oh my God, you have no idea what I would give not to have this. But this is my life. And these are the cards that, as I said, you know, early in our interview, these are the cards that I've been dealt and I'm going to have to play it. And would I like to have a normal life? Sure. But this is my normal. This is your normal with what you're going through at 46 and having a five-year-old and moving and and dealing with your brothers with, with muscular dystrophy and things like that. So, yeah. We all want something different, but this is what we've got right here and we've got it in front of us and we've got to play it. So I would encourage your audience to go ahead and play whatever these cards that you've been dealt 
go ahead and play them because that's really what your life is right now. Wow. What best way to end the podcast is, you know, what you just did, you know, like play your cards that you've been dealt and enjoy life and consider this your new normal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's no secret to it. You no, know, and, uh, it's not hard. <laughs> I love the fake it till you make it. Yep. You know, I lo I've always loved that one. My wife's hates it when I say that. I'm like, how do you do it? I say, I fake it until I make it. You know? Sure. And so sometimes I, um, not sometimes, a lot of times I don't believe myself. I'm like, I'm just going to fake it. Yeah. And at some point that, that fakeness is going to become my reality and I'm going to be, I'm going to be, uh, next thing you know, I'm going to look over my shoulder. I've, I've gone through it. You know, I can, right. uh, Thanks a lot, Terry. Really Thank you, appreciate Alex. it. I appreciate you. it. You take Thank care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.